Now it's time for Inspirational Women. And my guest this morning, Susan Wise Bauer, an educator, writer, entrepreneur, mother, wife, farmer. And it all wraps up together in this woman passionate about education and providing the best available for each and every child. Susan knows we need our own education on the subject, and so she joins us to share some insights from her new book, Rethinking School, How to Take Charge of Your Child's Education. Susan Wise-Bauer, good morning, and many thanks for joining us this morning. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, more than just thank you for being here is great thanks for the work that has obviously been your passion that you've immersed yourself in and the fact then that you take this information specifically about our kids about education and impart it in such important ways we have a book where we can really learn and be uh, the leaders in our lives uh, particularly for our children yes i hope so i think that most Parents don't realize the power that they actually hold uh, to give their kids a great educational experience. And that's where this comes um, along, the new book, Rethinking School, How Mm -hmm. to Take Charge of Your Child's Education. And uh, it is just really easy reading in the sense of it's not a lot of jargon. It's pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. And you've really outlined it magnificently for us. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of jargon. I, you know, I'm actually a lifelong academic. I mean, I have a PhD. I've taught in the university system for 15 years. And I know that jargon is a way to create a line uh, that keeps people on the inside or on the outside. Um, and I think parents a lot of times feel overwhelmed by, by the, the jargon of education. So what I wanted to do in this book was tell them what's really going on in school without the jargon to sort of, you know, invite them into the circle of power, as it were. And I think what happens finally, I mean, we should be aware of this just because of awareness that we have in our own adult lives about how we learn that there are different paths for learning, and yet our school system seems to have not largely kept pace with that kind of thinking. No, I think there's lip service to it, um, but not... Not actual change, not actual, you know, action based on it. Um, you know, what I wanted to do in this book was sort of the equivalent to what uh, the books that say, you know, rethink your career, redesign your life, think outside the box. There's so many of these books that are directed at grown-ups who have been uh, frustrated with their jobs, frustrated with their lives. So many books directed at them saying, okay, let's do some thought experiments. Let's throw it all out and think what could be. Those are intended to empower adults. We don't necessarily uh, think about how to empower our kids. We don't think about how incredibly artificial it is to go and sit in rooms for 12 formative years of our lives, to do homework, to study specific subjects in specific areas. All of that can actually be rethought, but schools are institutions. Institutions have sort of a, um, it's like like an evolutionary drive to preserve themselves. Uh, Institutions tell us that this is the way that it is. Um, I want us to, I want us to push back against the institutions. 
And here we have the way to do that in a a very um, methodical way, if you will, so that we can feel that we really have that, uh, quote, ammunition, if you will, uh, to approach it because you help us to look at this from so many different ways. And and also, I think it's important to note that um, perhaps in an ideal situation, you're looking at this uh, as uh, before you have children or as your child is an infant. But really, you can implement this at any age of your child's school life. No, that's absolutely true. And and I'm, I would say that it's great to have a plan when your children are babies. Um, I have four children. They're not even children anymore. My kids are now 26, 24, 21, and 17. So I know from experience that the plan you have when they're a baby is not the plan you end up with. In fact, you often just end up saying, I have no plan. What's happening right now? I think that my my larger goal in this book is not necessarily to have parents make a plan ahead of time, but for parents to realize that distress is not normal, um, that pain is not normal, that uh, boredom, disengagement, frustration is not normal, that when a child gets up in the morning and has a stomach ache, you know, four or five times a week and doesn't want to go to school, or when a child comes home and says, I never want to go to school again, that is not normal. It's something that we need to pay attention to. So when there are these signs of distress on the part of the child, we should stop trying to figure out what's wrong with the child. You know, what, What's wrong with that little psyche that's causing them to be disengaged and bored and not embrace the challenge of school? Maybe there's something wrong with the school side of it. Exactly. And I think that this book helps us with rethinking school it really helps us to have that empowerment as to what else might be going on so we can become more engaged and know what steps really are there for us to take that we can make those steps it's really our right and our prerogative to do so it absolutely is and and i have to say i i am um i guess i'm i'm kind of an odd mix of things I'm actually not, you know, a a burn all the institutions anarchist. Um, I'm not a post-hippie hippie. hippie. I'm I'm kind of a play-by-the-rules, go-by-the-book type A linear thinker. But along with that, um, I have this uh, desire for children not to be subjected to something that doesn't fit them. And something that is, I think a lot of people don't realize this about our school system, so many things about K-12 schools were not designed with pedagogy in mind, not designed with excellence in education. How do children best learn? How can we best prepare them for the future? So many things in the system were designed with efficiency, um, efficiency and practicality in mind. Those are the things we have to be willing to push back against. And one of the things I try to do in this book is not just say, look, buck the system, but buck the system wisely. Uh, Do it with forethought. Do it with consideration for the people who are involved. Um, I don't believe schools are evil. I don't believe administrators are evil. I don't believe teachers are evil. If you're going to push back against what your kids are doing, you've got to do so after getting involved, seeing the other side, making yourself useful. So I'm trying to give principles not just for pushing back, but 
for pushing back with a recognition that everyone involved in this process is a human being who has something at stake. That's what I mean by pushing back wisely. And this really gives us that ammunition to, to do so and really gives us a chance to look at different experiences because you include these anecdotes from parents that have had both good and challenging experiences, how they dealt with it. And I think that really important thing about being respectful is mm-hmm. is right there too. It's not, you know, all this is bad for my kid. I'm just, you know, slamming the door, walking out and burning something. That's not the right. way it goes. Uh, you really share those stories where parents have had very positive experiences of how they've made change. Yes. Well, you know, I've been involved. So I, the background to this book is that I was home educated from 1972 on. It was a long time ago. Um, my mother pulled us out of school because it didn't fit. She rethought school back at a time when no one was really rethinking school that we knew of. So um, she pulled us out, and then I home educated my own children. So one way or another, I've been involved with home education for over 40 years. And what I've seen in a lot of home educators is exactly what I didn't want to convey in this book, this willingness to say, ah, it's all bad. It's all wrong. I'm just going to reject the entire system and go do my own thing. Well, just because the system isn't working for you doesn't mean that the entire thing is a bad idea. It means that you've got to push back against the part that is causing distress for your child this year in this situation. So it's, it's a little bit of a different approach towards, uh, towards rethinking. And in all fairness, there are schools that might utilize some of that system uh, or might totally embrace having a concept where students are able to structure their education. But that's something, too, that one needs to really seek out. Exactly. I mean, there are schools that are doing a fantastic job with tailoring education to the students' needs. I I am not anti-school. I just think that we've sort of been given this choice to either accept or reject. You know, it has sort of turned into this black or white thing where we we either subject ourselves to the school system or we completely step outside of it. Uh, One of the things I say towards the end of rethinking school is that, you know, there may come a point where you finally say, you know what, I can't deal with this system anymore. It's too much of a misfit for my child. I'm going to have to step outside it. And I think that's when a lot of parents do move to homeschooling, and um, I think most of them probably never intended to end up there. But that's not the inevitable end. You can talk to your school. You can talk to your teachers. You can talk to your administrators. You can make a difference. I think a lot of parents don't realize the extent to which they can say, uh, no, I'm not going to do that, and nothing bad will happen. Um, if I could just give you two examples. Of course. Um, yeah, one is homework. Before high school, absolutely nothing bad happens. If you send in a note with your student that says, my child was at school all day, came home, was exhausted, and I told them not to do their homework. Nothing happens. Um, Okay, they might get a lower grade, but grades in K through 8 never show up on transcripts. They don't materially affect the student's prospects. 
even if you are looking at, for example, transferring from a public to a private school, what the private school is going to look at are test scores. They're going to ask you to do a battery of tests in order to show uh, you know, qualifications for entrance. The grades that the student gets before ninth grade make no difference. Parents don't know that the kids don't have to sweat and cry over homework. And I'd just like to add to that that parents should familiarize themselves with the research that's been done on homework. Homework has been shown to be actively detrimental to the learning of elementary students. No elementary student, according to studies, should be given homework. It has not added to mastery of material in either middle school or high school. It slightly improves standardized test scores, but it doesn't add to mastery. So as a parent, you can say, this is not effective for the greater goal that I have for my child. My child is not going to do it. Ah, there are consequences. Fine. No problem. We'll take the consequences. Parents don't realize that. that that's, just, that's one example. The other that I'd like to highlight are standardized tests that are given in order to rank the school, not the child. And that's most standardized tests that are given in grades K through 8. The purpose of standardized tests in those classrooms is usually to make sure that the school is doing its job. And in every single state, including the ones where teachers and administrators will tell you, no, this isn't an option, you can opt your child out of those standardized tests if the tests distress your child. If the child is freaked out, having stomach aches, throwing up, um, you can actually excuse your child parents don't realize that. So these are just two ways in which you can push back without actually completely stepping out. And I'm sure that most parents probably are not aware that they have that kind of power. No, I think that they're not. And here again, this is, this is just the nature of institutions. Um, an institution's existence sort of depends on them not telling you that there's another way to do things. Um, it, it, you know, and here again, it's not a matter of there being some sort of evil conspiracy. It's just the way that institutions work. So as parents, we've got to take the responsibility to say, really? Is this really necessary? Let me just push back a little against that. So these are some of the very important, critical things that we find in this wonderful book, Rethinking School. We also find, you talk about, Susan, how a child might be having these stomach aches on a regular basis. That doesn't seem natural. The other one that is really critical, and this is one that I find so challenging, is, uh, you know, stereotyping the ADHD. So many kids are labeled with that. Then they find drugs that they need to take to combat that. And really, as, as you discuss it, there are some really just very fundamental reasons for this. Yes. So so a misfit, and this goes back to what I said earlier when we were talking, a misfit between the kid and the system, a, 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 you know, a sort of a lack of the system teaching in a way that serves the child and the child fitting into the system can manifest itself in this inability to adapt to the system. Some kids are malleable enough to where they can adapt. Uh, Some kids are sort of naturally suited to the system, so they're absolutely fine. But when you have a a, a kid encounter a system, and the system, 
by which I mean our K-12 schooling system, seems to be immovable, um, the kid is always going to appear maladjusted. And I, I, I want to make very, very clear, there are such things as learning disabilities. Um, dyslexia is a real thing. I think that ADD is a real thing. But the symptoms that we now accept as showing that a kid has dyslexia or showing that a kid has ADD on sort of a lower level, you know, one that can't be backed up with, with actually organic symptoms and tests that show a, you know, a, a natural malfunction of the body system, are often not actually learning disabilities or ADD or ADHD. They are a child's desperately trying to fit into a system that is so alien to them that they can't figure out how to do it, how to work with it, how to work within it. Again, I'm not denying that sometimes medication can be useful for organically based difficulties that are causing, this is what I say in the book, if an inability to pay attention or a difficulty reversing letters is something that's causing distress over the whole of a child's life, yeah, you're dealing with something that needs to be medically diagnosed and medically taken care of. But if you're dealing with something that only manifests itself when the child is engaged with our K-12 school system, that's the point at which I think you need to stop and say, wait, is this really a problem with the child? You know, you think about yourself as an adult. If you feel immense distress in one particular situation but not others, you don't immediately, I would hope, start diagnosing yourself, I would hope you would look at the situation and say, yeah, something's out of whack here. Right. And I think that's the thing. It's too often used as the fallback, whereas yeah. uh, I was just intrigued with your saying in the book that there are certain other conditions in a child's life that are not being acknowledged, and it just might be easy to put that label ADD mm -hmm. or ADHD, such as you know a child who maybe is having vision difficulties and so you know cannot pay attention very well. Yeah, there are a number of diagnosable physical conditions having to do with eyesight. Um, so we think of kids as being nearsighted or farsighted, and that's usually what a vision screening looks for. But there are more subtle vision problems, which actually are you know, sort of biological organic difficulties. Um, a child can have difficulty focusing on one line at a time so that when the child focuses, it looks like the lines are jumping up and down. A kid who's suffering from that particular biological condition can easily be misdiagnosed as ADHD and given drugs. And I would like to say that although I'm, I'm definitely not anti-medication, I'm really not, um, giving these sorts of habit-forming drugs to very young children is something that should never be done outside of extensive consultation with medical authorities several medical authorities, a lot of times you'll have a kid who will have a vision problem or a hearing problem, and they'll have a standard vision or hearing screening, standard meaning, you know, you're your pediatrician. Pediatricians are great, but they don't have sophisticated diagnostic equipment for these specialized problems. Um, nothing will show up on the diagnosis, and the, the pediatrician or the GP uh, or the family doctor will prescribe uh, medications which should only be prescribed by a, uh, a neuropsychologist or a psychiatrist after a full evaluation of the child. 
the medication is a quick fix. And I'm not accusing anyone in this situation of being lazy or taking the short way out. I mean, the parents don't know what to do. The kid doesn't know what to do. I think the GP doesn't know what to do. But we need, this is part of the rethinking. We need to be a lot more careful about administering these kinds of drugs when a kid doesn't fit into the K-12 system. We need to look for some other reasons first, some other solutions first. And that's where I think you are, you approach this in what I feel is a very even-handed way, Susan, that helps us to really look at different options. And we know our child, so we should be able to uh, really champion them or be looking more specifically. And, and, you know, maybe finally it ends up that this is hyperactivity in, in our particular kid, but it could be so many other be. things, right? Exactly, exactly. This is It, it could be. Um, but we need to be willing to be uh, a little more, a little more ornery, my grandmother would have said. <laughs> uh, she was a Virginia native. We need to be a little more, we, we need to resist a little bit more. We need to say, well, yes, maybe. See, this, this is the, the not doing it in a confrontational manner. You could be right. I understand that you've got my kid's best interest in mind, but so do I. Let's look and see if there are any other solutions. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm just back off of a, a West Coast uh, book tour, and at one of my readings, I talked to this lovely couple, so concerned for their child, and what they said was, is that when this child, who is seven, goes to school, school has, and he's in second grade, has begun to make him so anxious that they've had to take him to a psychiatrist and put him on anti-anxiety medication, a seven-year-old. Wow. What should they do? I said, okay, first thing, you need to get him out of that situation. If you are having to give a seven-year-old anti-anxiety medication to get them to school, the first thing that you do is get a little bit ornery. And you say, no, I'm gonna, we're going to stop here. My first concern is for my child, and my child is not flourishing. I'm going to push back. That's what I want parents to do. And this is going to sound way too simplistic and things versus a personality. But you think of, you know, that child's toy of a square pegs and round holes and, you know, mm-hmm. trying to push it in there, realizing that, you know, this is kind of similar, but on a human, really vulnerable type of personality. We need to, yes, maybe look at the situation. Seven years old, my goodness. I know. I know. But I hear these stories from parents so often. And here again, this is why I wrote the book. There's this, um, so the analogy that I use in the book, I use sort of a twofold analogy. One is of a paradigm and one is of a matrix. So paradigm is academic jargon. That's why I give two examples. A paradigm is something that's so normal to you that you never question it, but you view the rest of the world through it. But it's not necessarily natural. It's a lens. And if you keep looking at the world through that lens, some things will be warped and distorted and others will be diminished. Um, I, I'm actually a big fan of the movie, The Matrix. I love that movie. That movie is the sort of a pop culture expression of what a paradigm is. It's the reality that because you never questioned it continues to seem absolutely normal. That's where many parents are. I mean, it's easy to look at parents who are medicating a seven-year-old to get them to school and say, what is wrong with you? But if you have never stepped outside of our K-12 system, if no one has ever said to you, 
there are not good educational reasons why we do it this way. This evolved um, as a combination of historical and historical factors, market forces, um, admiration for the Prussian system of military efficiency. I go over all these in the book. If no one ever says that to you, how are you supposed to know that this isn't normal? How are you supposed to know that you shouldn't medicate your seven-year-old in order to get them through it? It seems normal to you. It's a paradigm. Ah, and that is why this is such a must-read. As I mentioned, easy to read in the sense of the stories, the understanding, your explanations. It's just like reading a story as opposed to, I am actually having to pour all this information in. It's like the way school really should be. Lots of fun and engaged and really learning something that we're invested in and we're going to get something out of. That's what happens with with our reading, Rethinking School. And it's available, of course, at all of our favorite book sources, right, Susan? Yes, it absolutely is. So take a look for that. I also think we need to mention your website because with the website, there's just always information to be found. Yes. So our website is welltrainedmind.com. So it's welltrainedmind with no punctuation.com. And one of the, I think, most valuable resources that we have there are parent forums where we have literally tens of thousands of parents posting. And not just homeschoolers, but parents who have their children in traditional schools or in not-so-traditional schools and are actively trying to rethink school and shape it to their children. I will say that I have learned so much from the parents on these forums. And these parents are the ones that I quote in the book with real experiences, with scores of different school experiences. So go have a look, and you will not feel alone. And, you know, one of the really wonderful things here, too, is you state not all children are destined for college. Look at our world. Mm -hmm. You know, we know we're not all college material. That's not where our interest and our passion lies. When it does, that's great. But, you know, looking at other professional training, really being much more open-minded about that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that we are in the middle of of sort of a sea change when it comes to college. That four-year degree is going through multiple shifts. First of all, although it's still considered essential in many fields, there's sort of a glut of them. You know, everybody has a four-year degree. At the same time, four-year degrees are getting so much more that it's just going to be impossible for people to continue to get them. I mean, I can tell you, I have four children. I'm on number three with college tuition now. Thank goodness I'm going to be done soon because the prices go up 20, 25% every single year. So this is going to have to change. One of the things I found really interesting on my recent visit to the West Coast was the number of parents who came up to me and said, I'm really anxious for my child to have a four-year degree because I don't have one. And then I find out as I continue to talk to them, these are parents who have great jobs in tech. They have good, high-paying, high-prestige jobs in technology, which they got through their skills, not because of a degree. They just feel inferior. They're not inferior. They've just been given this feeling of inferiority. So I think we really do need to look at how do we build these skills in other ways It's hard to push back against the paradigm, and the four-year degree right now is a paradigm, 
but I think it's one that is ripe to be shattered so that we can look directly at skills instead of at degrees. So all of this so invaluable information that really gets us thinking, gets us really fashioning, shaping, as you say, Susan, shaping that education that is so desirable for our kids so they they really do thrive and ultimately succeed. Well, and that's our goal. I mean, that's what we can't forget. Our goal is to have our kids be okay. There's more than one way to do that. Exactly. And so we can do ourselves the greatest favor. And even if we perhaps don't have kids at this point, uh, you know, maybe we're past that point, but still to be part of uh, this change of really being an advocate because we can see what the bigger, better picture is. Yes. And I, I think that's what we are called to do is to keep rethinking what we're doing so that we don't keep following along like sheep. Um, I have sheep. They follow you along. Uh, They don't question it. That's not what we should be doing. And so we have this great opportunity. We've just heard from Susan Weisbauer with so much great information, but we've just scratched that proverbial surface. The book, Rethinking School, definitely has many stories, so much information. And Susan, I am just so grateful that you are passionate about this and that you are using all of your knowledge to impart that to us. Thank you so much. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Susan Weisbauer and Sunday Morning Magazine with Patty Skelton-McGugan. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast. It's on our Warm 1069 webpage. Simply click on the On Air tab, then Sunday mornings, and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of talking about education. What does it look like for your family? Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9, the station to pick you up and make you feel good. Good morning.